The Start On Demand. On demand. We have an incredible story from one of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Winnipeg's own Brady Oliveira, who on Tuesday at Maple Grove Dog Park saved a woman and her dog after they fell into the river. Canadian Taxpayers Federation is calling on politicians, federal politicians, to follow in New Zealand's footsteps and take a pay cut. Should they? Many are asking the question, how do layoffs at Manitoba Hydro save the province money? And for many of us on Tuesday, we stopped what we were doing to enjoy as the snowbirds went soaring past. So we'll have a conversation today about the things that bring us childlike wonder. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, May 13th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, I got to ask about snow in a second because I got an email that just set off alarm bells. But before that, I just want to open with an apology to one Greg Mackling because I was I, I kind of messed with you last night, Greg. We were watching, we were having our group chat and all three of us are watching this show on Netflix called Dead to Me. Its second season just arrived this past weekend. It stars Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. Uh, the basic premise is that they meet in therapy. They are both widows, and they, they form a bond, and it's a black comedy, some pretty serious drama in it. And I knew that season one, which I had not watched, had an explosive ending. And I asked you last night which episode you're on. I was on episode nine, and uh, you said you just finished the season, and you <laughs> revealed what happens at the end of the season. And oh, I, and, <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I said, ah, oh, well, I'm on episode nine, so thanks for that. <laughs> oh, but you have no idea how bad I felt. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> that, my first reaction was like, this is the best. He's just ruined the show to the couch potato who lives for TV. All he's got is a sad salad in his life right now, and you just ruined yeah, it for him. I took everything away from you in one <laughs> sentence last night. But here's the thing. I, I knew, I had a hint that that was coming. I had read uh, headlines that sort of implied that that's what, ha- what was happening, and I knew that, how, like, I knew basically how the season ended. I just wasn't sure who it was, uh, So, but I... I just wanted you to know that I essentially knew already, so it's okay. I was just messing with you, so I'm sorry for messing with you because I knew I should have known that you'd feel bad about that, and I kind of let it hang there a little too long. So yeah, no, I deserve that. I guess it sort of helped the fact that the, I used the wrong character's name. I guess uh, you know that sort of sort of let me off the hook somewhat. But anyway, I uh, oh, you have. No- my heart sank when I got that text message back from you. I, I sincerely uh, felt absolutely horrible. But it is, oh, and it, it, don't worry about it, man. It's 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 funny. It was just, it was pretty funny, and I love that Loren <laughs> thought it was hilarious. Of course, masochist. <laughs> uh, great show, by the way. Dead to me uh, again. Season two just arrived this past week, and how far in into season two are you, by the way, Loren? Oh, I think I'm on episode four. I've been trying to go slow because like so many things, you know, you, you do have enough time to 
to perhaps add more TV into your day. But then I get so sad after I'm done a series and I got, you know, it's it's something exciting to look forward to. So I've been trying to do just one episode a night. Last night I did two. Okay. got to tell you when it comes to happy places i have a hard time thinking of a happier place to be than maple grove dog park in saint fatel when i used to have a dog named dexter i'd take him there and just watch him run and frolic it brought me so much joy to be with dexter and to just be surrounded by dogs well yesterday greg it brought something far more harrowing for a woman and her dog yeah a woman was running after her dog near the river The dog then fell in the river, then she fell in. But thankfully for her, one of the heroes of Champions Way was in the vicinity. Loren, who have we got? We've got Brady Oliveira on the line, as far as I know, uh, Winnipeg Blue Bomber. And as you mentioned, uh, putting the hero into the hero of Championship Way. Good morning, Brady. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. It's always nice to have a, a heartwarming story like this. And if you don't mind, just maybe take us back. Describe where you were and what was going on around you when this all happened. Yeah, it was uh, still crazy to think about. And, you know, I'm just so, so happy that I was there. You know, it's just, you know, right place, right time. But, you know, more so, you know, just my duty. Um, that In that especially specific time, like that was, I was just meant to happen. And, you know, I was supposed to, you know, be there and, and it's just my duty to be a good citizen in the community. And, you know, when I, wherever I can see that someone needs help, it's, you know, it's my duty to go and help. So it was just a crazy afternoon, but I was at, yeah, at Maple Grove Dog Park. And, you know, I live about two minutes away from there. And I got a little puppy. She's five months old. Her name is Nellie. So I'm there, you know, um, quite a bit, especially with this whole quarantine stuff. You know, I've got to find some things to do. So I've been at Maple Grove Dog Park a lot with her. And, um, and yeah, you know, I was just, you know, walking, you know, with Nellie there yesterday afternoon and, you know, I saw a lady run down to the river and she said, Oh my God, like my dog's down there. Um, so you know, I let a few minutes go by, um, didn't even think the, the dog was in the actual river. I was like, you know, let's, let's go over there and just check to see, make sure that she's doing okay. Next thing you know, she's freaking out in panic. Her dog is down the river. Uh, I throw the leash down to her to maybe so that she can maybe hook the leash on somehow so the dog doesn't keep floating away. Uh, and the next thing you know, she slips in and she's holding on to a tree. It's not even a, a big tree. It's just like a tree branch. And um, at, at that time, I was like, oh, my God, like, what do I do? Um, do I, like, go down the river a little bit more to, to make sure that he doesn't, you know, float away? Or do I just go down where she is and, you know, and try to pull him up from there? So, you know, I went down right away. Um, and, and I just remember telling her, like, do not let go of that dog. I grabbed her forearm. I was like, I got you. You're fine. And hold, don't, and don't let go of that tree branch. Cause there's like no traction down there. It's all muddy. Um, and I could see how she, you know, she lost footing and slipped and fell in there. Um, so I was like, everything's be okay. Like, let me, let me grab a hold of your dog's collar. The dog was 10 years old and he was just under a hundred pounds. So, um, you know, I could see how she was having trouble, you know, pulling him in and that's why she slipped in. Um, so I, I grabbed the dog's collar, um, and, and pulled him out of the, out of the river. He was good. And the next thing you know, I pulled her out. Um, so yeah, it was just crazy. You know, the, the dog was swimming away a little bit. It was getting taken by the current, but was able to swim back, uh, to, uh, the owner. 
and then you'll know, finally get a hold of the dog. And, and yeah, I'm just you know so happy and thankful that I was there at that time and that I was able to see you know a lady go down towards there and just to you know be weary about the situation and and be aware that she's down there because you know if no one else saw her go down there. If anyone's been to Maple Grove Dog Park, um, you know, you don't usually walk by the river line and it's a big drop off. So if anyone's down there, you don't even, you never even will see them. Um, so I'm just so happy. And like I said, right place, right time. And um, yeah, it's like almost like I was meant to, I was meant to be there at that time. So I'm just super happy that, you know, she's safe. Her dog is safe. And that obviously, you know, I was safe as well and, um, and that no one got hurt. So. It was a pretty, uh, pretty crazy afternoon yesterday. My palms are sweaty listening to you retell <laughs> that story. And, of course, the humility. I, I always find that people who, who do these heroic things and, and, and look out for other people like this are, are normally very humble, and, and so I'm not surprised to, to hear you that way. And I know a little bit about you, Brady, but I want to ask you about the fact that you are a professional athlete and the time you spent it at UND. And athletes always talk about how the game slows down for them. That's how they they find their game did did any of that come into effect do you think yesterday let alone the the whole serendipity of you being there at the right time just the your athleticism and, and maybe the way an athlete's brain worked allowed you to stay calm in the situation oh 100 percent. so i just it's crazy that you even bring this up so i remember um it, it almost felt like you know it felt like it was five minutes but I knew that I had, to, I had to think quick. And I remember her saying that, oh, my God, like, I'm going to lose my dog because she thought that the current was going to take the dog. So in, that, in the time that felt like five minutes, it was more so 10 seconds that I had to make a decision. Am I going to, you know, walk down the, the river line and, and make sure I can grab the dog if he, if he flows away? Or do I go down where she is and where the dog is nearby? And I remember, you know, taking my keys out of my pocket, uh, my sunglasses off my face, my phone, uh, and taking everything out of my pockets, and then it's like jumping down, and it's it's probably like a ten foot drop off. I remember jumping down there, um, my my foot got stuck stuck in the mud. Uh, I'm just full of mud and everything. It was just crazy, and then uh, you know just getting to her right away and just you know trying to you know tell her everything's gonna be okay, and you know that I got her arm now, and do not let go of that dog, and I'll pull that dog out for you, and. Um, yeah, so I definitely had to think quick in that situation and, and definitely to stay calm. And I think, you know, uh, me being a pro athlete and being in, you know, lots of different, you know, crazy scenarios uh, while playing the game of football and um, definitely has allowed me to, you know, um, use that in the real world. And I think, you know, sports is a great example um, and it teaches you lots of, you know, lots of different life skills and uh, that many other, you know, occupations don't. So uh, it was just yeah, a crazy afternoon yesterday. Brady Oliveira is our guest from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And Brady, I understand that uh, this woman did not recognize you as a Blue Bomber, but she recognized you from the work that you do with dogs. Yeah, which, you know, I think, you know, the game of football only lasts so long, right? And I definitely do not ever want to be defined by, you know, my success on the football field. I want to be defined as, you know, a good young man and, and a good person in the community. And that's why, you know, I do, I do so much community work because this is what I'm passionate about and I'm just passionate about helping others. And, um, 
yeah, you know, she came, you know, after we were able to, you know, kind of lighten the mood up and, and kind of just talk and, you know, just happy that everyone was safe and, and no one got hurt. And then, um, yeah, she said she recognized me um, from, she's like, I think, like, I know you from somewhere. Do you do, like, you know, rescue dogs? And I said, oh, yeah, like, uh, I rescue dogs. So I actually do some work with Canine Advocates. Um, which is a rescue group here in Winnipeg. So what we do is we go to northern regions and rescue dogs. And since we don't have an actual shelter, um, we will actually, you know, we we run based off of fosters. So we got to get fosters, these dogs in houses, get them all vaccinated. And once they're all vaccinated up to date, we'll fly them out to uh, different, you know, rescue shelters across Canada. Um, so I was, I was extremely busy with canine advocates this winter, um, kept my off-season busy and kind of, you know, sped up the winter season since it's brutally cold in Manitoba. So I was busy rescuing dogs. Um, I would say alone, personally, I probably rescued 50 dogs. Um, but as a team uh, at Canine Advocates, uh, Canine has rescued over 300 dogs so far in 2020. So it's been an amazing uh, season so far um, for Canine. And, uh, yeah, you know, if, if anyone ever wants to get involved with Canine Advocates, you know, we're always, you know, looking for um, fosters. And since we're a nonprofit organization, we're constantly, constantly looking for um, donations. So any way, shape, or form that you can donate or help support us, that would be great. Um, you can look for updates on canine advocates on facebook or instagram or you can you know check out my instagram at brady Oliveira. um i post lots of you know my dog rescuing stuff on there through canine and lots of uh canine updates on there so well brady before we let you go and i first of all i love the way you have a football season and a dog season i think you just called it the season yeah. for the, the canine rescue has yes, been great yes. i yeah. have to ask you about the name of your dog you said nelly is there a reason for that or you just thought it was cute because i think it's a great name yeah, so I named Nelly because uh, I was actually on a rescue run in Nelson House, Manitoba, uh, in February, and I brought a bunch of a bunch of dogs back. And uh, Nelly was running around on the reserve up there. Uh, she was about six weeks old. It was minus forty-two, and it was eight thirty at night, and she was running around there. Um, you know, even probably way too young to be away from her mom. And uh, didn't find the litter, didn't find her mom. She was just by herself. So, you know, I scooped her up, brought her back to Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, that was one of the dogs. I probably brought back around eight dogs from Nelson House. And then I brought back a mom with a litter of newborn puppies, about eight puppies. So it was, it was a big haul back that, you know, flew back in the cargo with me. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, out of all the dogs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to foster Nellie. And I was only going to foster her for about a couple weeks. And unfortunately, well, Let's say fortunately, because she's been, you know, my best friend now. Um, you know, fortunately, I was a foster failure to her, and, and now she's, you know, my, my baby girl. So um, but this quarantine has definitely, you know, people say, oh, this quarantine has been has, has sucked or whatever, but you got to be optimistic and you got to be positive. You know, every negative situation is positive. So uh, I think Nellie has been my safe haven this whole uh, this whole quarantine. So, so yeah, I named her Nellie because I got her in Nelson House, Manitoba. Brady, before we let you go, I just got to read a text message. This is kind of a sign of how sometimes it's such a small world. I got a text from a guy named Mark, uh, who I used to go to school with, uh, grade school, and uh, he says he knows you from the cabin. He says, uh, Brady is a hero in every sense of the word, from rescuing dogs to walking the beach with the bear clan to saving people from the river. He is truly one of a kind. I love that guy with my whole heart. I'm so proud of him. Great cup champ to superhero. The boy's incredible. So I just wanted to pass that on from your friend, Mark. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Mark. It means a lot. Brady Oliveira from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers joining us live on 680 CJOB. Brady, thanks for doing all the awesome stuff you do, man. You truly are a hero. 
Thank you so much. It means a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. So this is what happened yesterday morning, right after Global News at 9.30 on the start. Completely derailed in an instant by something in the sky. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, a fitting song choice, Jeff Fortier. I actually see them outside right now. What's that? I see them outside right now. You see them? Yeah. The snowbirds? Yeah. Oh, man, I can't. Oh, yeah, there they go. There they go. Yeah, I can see them flying by. I'm just looking outside the window here, looking to the northeast of Polo Park. I heard them take off. I stepped outside. Greg, it looks like they might be coming your way. Are you outside now? No, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna disconnect from here. I'm gonna call you guys. Okay, and it looks like they might be looping back towards. Yeah, they're coming back towards Polo Park uh, because the it looks like the. Yeah, that's sorry. I'm completely distracted right now by the snowbirds. And that was pretty much, I think, the collective mentality, it seemed, through the city of Winnipeg and parts of southern Manitoba because social media was flooded with pictures and video. Our own text line here at 204-780-6868. Thank you to everybody who sent those pics. And it just got us talking about the things that it's nice to see that there are still some things that can make us stop and just go, Ah, wow, that's really neat. So we wanted to talk about the things that give you childlike wonder or maybe the things that made you feel that sense of wonder when you were a child. Loren, uh, you came up with a really great example that kind of gave me goosebumps because I have the same feeling about it. Well, we were trying to find movies that we all can enjoy as a family. And so sometimes you're trying, that takes you back 20 or 30 years. Back to the Future, I think, is on Netflix right now. And so we thought, oh, we'll watch that with the kids. I, they're a bit too young for it still, I realized, halfway through, especially with the whole, you know, going back to the future and meeting his mom and his mom doesn't know it's their son. And, it, you know, you're trying to explain to the kids that whole back to the future part. But, man... When we got to the end and uh, there are no cars where we're going or no roads where we're going and the flying car pops up in the air, I was still like, yes, that is just as cool now as it was in the 1980s when you thought about a future with flying cars. I loved it. That is a great one. And yeah, that movie gives me that, that movie gets me every time. One of our favorites. And I think, Jeff, it's one of your favorites. Jeff Braun, co-host of The Couch Potatoes. What uh, what gives you childlike wonder? Is he there? For me, it's oh, whenever I can get out of the city, out into the country somewhere on a clear night and look up and see the full sky of stars. Because you don't get that in the city. You get a few stars, but not you don't really get to appreciate it. And growing up in a small town, I always did look up at the stars, you know, whenever I was outside at night. And it always kind of blew my mind, and it still does. I just don't get to see it as often. That is a great example. I remember going to Tall Pines Lodge at uh, West Hawk Lake with uh, my girlfriend about 10 years ago. And we went down to the lake at, at night, and I could not believe what I could see in the sky. It was just jaw-dropping. What about you, Kelly Moore? Well, close to home. Uh, in the fall, when the geese are starting to, to migrate south, uh, we have a big uh, pond at the Transcona Nationals practice field that's, that is kind of on our backyard. And it is, it's odd, breathtaking to, to watch these geese and, and the sound they make when they're flying overhead our houses well i wouldn't say it's uh, equal to the snowbirds but you know it, it it's awfully close and it and it certainly uh, causes you to uh, to have a greater appreciation for what's going on around you but you know one of the one of the greatest memories i ever have on our 25th anniversary we decided to go to vegas and one of the things we did was we booked a bus trip to the grand canyon and i will never 
ever forget stepping off that bus and going to the rail and and seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. It 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 literally shook me to the core. It, it, it's something that if no one has been there before, or if you haven't been there before, rather, I would highly recommend uh, putting that on your bucket list. What about you, Jeff Forte? Well, I'm going to have to say Disney World and the Disney magic. Like, when I was a kid and you go there, it is just, like, how do they do it? And even to this day, I still YouTube and, like, you know, watch, like, what is going on in Disney World and how do they do it? It's just, it amazes me. I went to Disney World, I think, when I was 12. And, yeah, you're right. When you, it's And just the, the sheer size of Disney World, that alone had been blown away. Even just the monorail going into the park, we were all like, oh, man, a monorail. This is so neat. Well, yeah, and I was thinking, like, the, um, the Haunted Mansion, like, you see, like, the outside looks small. And then, like, because you don't realize there's a huge building behind it. But they make it so you can't see the building behind it and how to actually get onto the ride, and just the size. It's just, it's incredible. Greg Mackling. Oh, boy, Jeff Forte, great one. You painted such an incredible picture, the magic of Disney. Uh, I agree with you on that one. I was always fascinated by tall buildings and always knew where the tallest building in the world was and what was being built. It's mind-blowing what they're building now. Uh, They're building one in China, I think, is like a half a mile tall. It's absolutely unreal. Uh, So to uh, go and explore some of those tall structures, even though... Essentially, I'm afraid of heights. I've been up to the top of the Space Needle in Seattle, the Stratosphere in Las Vegas. And the coolest one for me is the uh, arch in St. Louis, the Gateway Arch. You can actually go to the top of that arch and you lay down sort of on an angle. And they have very small windows and you look out over either the Mississippi River or over St. Louis. And just those engineering marvels have have always uh, just uh, left me bright-eyed and, and making me feel like a little kid whenever I encounter them, either online or, or in person. We got a text here. Greg, oh, go ahead, Kelly. Uh, sorry, Brett, I, Brett, I was just going to jump in real quick. Greg, honest to goodness, uh, as you were talking about tall buildings, without a word of a lie, I thought of the one time I went to visit the Arch in St. Louis, too, just before you mentioned it. That's so cool. We got a text yeah, a here place. of somebody who's saying, I spent my entire day watching this wee lad be born, take his first steps, his first meal, and his first adorable little nap. I have a lot of catching up to do today, but it was worth every second. This is uh, looks like a llama, a little baby llama being born. And that's also a good reminder. The zoo opens today, by the way, so that's cool. And, yeah, sometimes it's just, like, little simple things uh, that, like a like a puppy coming into the room always makes me draw kind of go ah but uh i i just thought of the 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 ride for dad the motorcycle ride for dad uh mm. greg when they they fire up all those bikes and they all mm-hmm. start rolling out of the of polo park that is one of the coolest things i think that's like a a, a 30 minute goosebump for me no question. I'm with you on that. That's a that's a local phenomenon, something that uh, it doesn't get old, right? We've been there, I think, three years in a row together now, and uh, I get as excited uh, the, the third time as I did the first time. And Derek says, coolest memory for me was driving truck uh, Chesapeake Bay Bridge slash Tunnel. You drive over oh, and under yeah. the water, and then you come up in Virginia Beach. That sounds yeah. neat. So keep those examples coming at 204-780-6868. The things that bring you childlike wonder after we all stop to just kind of look up and go, hey, the snowbirds, that is cool.
today I can confirm that myself, government ministers and public service chief executives will take a 20% pay cut for the next six months. As we acknowledge New Zealanders who are reliant on wage subsidies, taking pay cuts and losing their jobs as a result of COVID-19's global pandemic. That was New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinta Ardern announcing last month that she and ministers in her government and public service chief executives will take a 20% pay cut for the next six months amid the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic, Loren. Yeah, so she made that announcement in April 15th, and she's not the only head of government to do so. You can find a list of uh, members of parliament in Japan and India that have taken pay cuts. We've seen similar reductions in South Korea, Malta, Minnesota. Closer to home, the Vancouver mayor reduced his salary by 10%, and here in Manitoba, the premier... Premier also cut his salary by about 10%. But we're asking the question this morning about the month after Jacinta Ardern announced that, should there be more happening, Greg? Well, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation certainly believes so. It's launched a campaign to pressure politicians at the federal level to follow in the footsteps of places like New Zealand and take a pay cut. Todd McKay is the Prairie Director for the Taxpayers Federation. He joins us now. Good morning, Todd. Hey, good morning. So what are you calling for exactly? Is this just about the idea of putting your money where your mouth is? Yeah, it, you know, it really comes down to a couple of things. First of all, it's about leadership. And people across Canada uh, have seen their income shrink. A lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have taken pay cuts to try to keep things, uh, keep the place where they work rolling. Uh, and even seniors, uh, a lot of them have seen their, uh, uh, their savings shrink as the market uh, takes a bit of a dip. Uh, so it's about being part of this as opposed to above it. Uh, members of Parliament in particular, uh, they serve in the House of Commons. They need to have something in common with us. And so they need to take a, a pay cut, just like we've seen in places like New Zealand and Japan and India and so many other places. Uh, but there's another part of this, too. Uh, you know, the government's really going to have to work hard to get spending under control uh, after uh, the, the dust clears from the pandemic itself. We've got a huge economic hole to deal with, and they need to lead by example there. They're going to be asking, uh, you know, bureaucrats across government uh, to uh, tighten their belts. They need to absolutely have to lead by example on that. Looking at the uh, federal level, what would that save if they looked at a similar cut? Yeah, so if they if they went in the neighborhood of, of twenty grand or twenty percent, I should say. Uh, it would save uh, Canadians roughly $12 million a year. Uh, you know, 20% is not nothing. That's a significant uh, uh, cut. But members of Parliament already make over $180,000 a year. They can do it. And I don't mean to demean their job at all. It's a tough job. Traveling back and forth to Ottawa is tough. Having everything you say and do hashed out on, on uh, Twitter, that's tough. But listen, lots of jobs are tough. Uh, farmers are, are planting uh, their crops right now. Obviously, frontline healthcare workers are, are working their tails off right now. Everybody's in it tough. Uh, members of parliament need to be there too. And, and like I said, it would save $12 million. But the bigger issue is setting up for the future. Government's going to have to find ways to save money across the board. Uh, members of parliament need to look in their own wallets first. Is People it- are asking. Go ahead, Loren. 
Is it really about the idea that it's the savings, though? Because at the end of the day, Todd, I think it's it's sometimes it's about the symbolic gesture. You know, I passed a sign on a church the other day that I thought was great. It said, we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And how you have to remember that, that everybody's being impacted mm-hmm. at a different level. But from a leadership perspective, it, it would, I don't I don't know if there's Canadians saying that we need, let's save that $12 million as much as it would be symbolically appreciated or at least uh, understood. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, $12 million, it's not nothing. You know, it's easy to brush it aside in the billions of dollars we're talking about all the time right now. Uh, but $12 million is still real money. I, I always want to, I never want to give in on that point. But beyond that, it's the, it's the leadership that's really important. And that clip you pay, played from Prime Minister uh, Ardern in uh, New Zealand captures it perfectly. This is about leadership. If your people are going through a tough time, if they're all having to tighten their belts, your belt better get tighter by a notch or two as well. And that's where members of parliament need to be. It was really interesting. I spoke to a former member of parliament named Michelle Simpson. She asked her uh, colleagues to take a pay cut back in uh, 2008 when uh, the country went through a really rough time. Uh, She was rebuffed pretty savagely. That's not right. You Members of Parliament need to rebuild faith in government. Uh, going through what the people are going through is a, a great way to start. Todd, we were arguing about $11 million here and 700 temporary layoffs in Manitoba Hydro. And lots of people are understanding where the Premier's coming from on this, but there are just as many people going, is it worth all that disruption in the lives of 700 employees to save that amount of money? How do we, how do we wrap our heads around uh, what's an important amount of money and, and what's not? Oh, isn't that such a great question? You know, before we would argue about uh, millions of dollars, you know, even the federal deficit at $20 billion was much too high. Now it's going to be well over $200 million, closing in on 300 or sorry, $300 billion. There, I'm doing it, uh, getting the numbers mixed up because they're so big. Um, you know, $250 billion is, is looking to be the deficit right now. The, the key thing, though, is you don't brush aside what are, you know, quote-unquote small things. Big money is made out of little money. You have to you have to be uh, on top of that thing. Every uh, governments across the board are going to have to look for every potential saving, and you don't want to see people losing their jobs. Uh, that's a, a sad thing, no matter where that job is or what they're doing. But the best way to protect as many jobs as possible is to find savings everywhere. I know they're. I'm sure they're doing that at the business uh, where you folks are working. I know we're doing that in our organization. Governments need to do that as well. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, a sunny sky and warm weather. That's what we have to look forward to this May long weekend, Greg. But before you get too excited, McGarry, the province says the same physical distancing rules strictly apply. Global's Amber Magookan has more. Public health advice is that, yeah, this is not a return to normal. We're not advising people go gather with uh, groups of, of people outside their household and, and even go sit on a patio at the same table together. province says the idea of a bubble where two families that are self-isolating see each other is not part of Manitoba's reopening plan. The province's former chief public health officer says it's more of a concern if you live with someone who is most vulnerable to COVID-19. Who is getting together? 
Like if it's if it's young younger people without uh, medical conditions, I am not sure I see a reason why not. Um, if uh, if one or more members of that group are what I'm calling vulnerable, either because of their age or a chronic medical condition, I think it would be a mistake at this time. Manitobans may be feeling anxious to see loved ones and family members this weekend, but the province says they should focus on video chatting and phone calling instead. And if you do plan on going out to enjoy nature this weekend, to do so only with people you live with. Amber McGookin, Global News. A couple of things stuck out stuck out for me. One of them was the, the patio situation, and I know there is still some genuine confusion on patios because when they opened the patios, I think that said to a lot of Manitobans, okay, we can go to the patio with our friends, but the province is saying, you probably shouldn't be going to a patio with someone who doesn't live with you. So, Greg, you could go to a patio with Jackie, but they're saying I shouldn't go to a patio with you. I've scoped out some patios. It looks like there are some spots, Saffron's, for example, on Cordon. There are some tables along the rail where it looks like if I were to go with somebody, I could push myself out from the table and that person could push themselves out from the table. And as long as we're just having drinks and not eating, that could work, but still the recommendation is is to stay away from the patio uh, if you're not going with someone in your household. And then Loren, uh, Joel Kettner, said something that kind of raised an eyebrow for us. Yeah, he's uh, worked with the province for years. He's now at the U of M, Dr. Joel Kettner, and he just talked about the idea about it. It's also considering who, if you are taking that step to socialize with someone, who are you socializing with? Is there someone in your life who's elderly or immunocompromised or might have an underlying health condition? And and if you don't know if you have COVID or not, do you want to even be going near that person? At the end of the day, our provincial chief public health officer is suggesting still stay away and keep it within your own home. And when, you know, when you circle back even to the patio idea, what he's just said is we can't put the onus on the restaurant to try to figure out, you know, if Brett's friend is actually his brother. I'm just, I know you wouldn't do that, Brett, but you know, if someone goes in and says, Oh, this guy's my brother, we're just going to sit together. Well, it's not the restaurant's responsibility to figure out who's in each family. So they're just saying don't socialize with anyone outside your home. And that includes the patio. May long weekend. The weather is awesome. It's going to be great, sunny and warm. Finally, a beautiful weekend. And finally, a beautiful May long weekend, which yesterday, Loren, you pointed out, of course, we finally get a nice May long weekend and it's pandemic and we can't really do all that much. But the province uh, has reminded us that we still got to keep our distance. And I think, Greg, you pointed out, we didn't even have time to get you in to that particular chat, but you pointed something out in our chat off the air uh, that reopening can lead to some confusion. Yeah, and I think it's the challenge of the reopen is the fact that there is some interpretation going on here. You're getting mixed messages from two individuals that have a lot of credibility in our community and Dr. Kentner and in Dr. Rusin. Obviously, Dr. Rusin is the higher profile right now, but Dr. Kentner obviously had that job for a long time and was somebody that we listened to and, and respected, I think, for the most part. And so I think this is the shift, Loren, is you've gone from what's a pretty basic instruction to stay the heck home to, well, you can leave the house and you can go here, you can go there if you do this, 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 and that, and you can do that or this if you want to or you feel uncomfortable in the situation that you're in. And I think this is where 
people get a little bit nervous if you're in public health because the instructions are not crystal clear. They are open for interpretation and people are going to play both sides against the middle in some situations in terms of justifying what they're doing. Right. And you have the whole idea that at the end of the day, social distancing still means two meters. And so all the time we're having conversations in our circle, you know, a neighbor might be standing on their lawn and I'm standing on mine or you walk over to chat quickly and you think, how far apart am I? And the kids have, even when I yell out, you know, hey, like six feet, remember? And they talk and then they, you know, like all these different rules we've had in place. Fundamentally, at the end of the day, what's being said by Dr. Rusin is that two meters is still the rule. It's still, in his opinion, uh, in his advice and uh, the best recommendation that we don't go into one another's homes. Uh, so you stay within your own circle, within your own family, and, and you'd be very aware about where what you're doing when you're out shopping. And I don't know what, about you guys, but I had my very first trip into a store on Sunday when it ran into a shopper's drug mart quickly and uh, still felt that sense of discomfort because you'd start walking down an aisle and somebody else would be coming at you from the other way and I'd come to a straight stop and we both just stared at each other like we were about to have like a quick draw cowboy <laughs> gunslinging you know who's going to get to go first because and we weren't being rude we just nobody you know you're, you're navigating your way through this and so as we move towards the slow reopening you know we can listen to different health officials and, and different experts on, on what best practices might be, but the, the same fundamental rules should probably apply about thinking before you go into someone's house or how far apart you are when you are maybe chatting or socially distancing or heading to the campground this weekend and how far apart you are from somebody else when you're talking to them. And we're all doing things. I'm not saying I don't believe for a second any of us are doing things the exact same way, but just to weigh these things in your head as you do them, because we're, we're going to slowly start to relax and everybody should be thinking the same thing about not being too relaxed, Brett, because who wants to be back here in September doing the exact same thing all over again? And that's what I wonder every time I go for a walk. I live in Osborne Village, uh, so when I walk, I always walk up Cordon and kind of just do a, like a 45-minute loop. And when I walk by the various patios on Cordon, I often will see tables of four or tables of six. And I think to myself, you can't, those, those four people can't all be living in the same house. And they're all crammed together around these patio tables. And I just wanted to, to play this. I dug out a clip that we played last week, Dr. Brent Rusin, uh, regarding the patio situation and some of the questions that are being asked there. Yeah, so this is the difference between what's uh, you know an enforceable public health order and what's public health advice. So the public health order would require them to have be operating at 50% capacity and all tables need to be two meters apart. Certainly uh, sitting at a table, it's going to be tough to have uh, people situated two meters apart. Um, uh, a public health advice is that, yeah, this is not a return to normal. We're not advising people go gather with uh, groups of, of people outside their household and, and even go sit on a patio at the same table together. Certainly, we're not going to be putting that on restaurants to try to figure out who's from the same household or not. So it's not going to be an enforceable order, order uh, but it's not a return to normal. This isn't uh, still um, the, the place where you'd get together with 10 of your friends uh, and, and go sit on a, on a patio at the same table. This, uh, this isn't that return to normal yet. So, of course, there's going to be the temptation or the, the desire to want to hit a patio with the beautiful weather that we're looking at on May long weekend. But the recommendation there is if you're not going with somebody you don't live with, then maybe you shouldn't do it. There, you know, I'm thinking uh, like I'm going planning to go golfing on Sunday at the golf course that I'm going to does have a patio that's pretty wide open. So I'm thinking 
I, we probably could sit at the patio there where we just push the, the chairs out from the table mm-hmm. so we have that separation. But even that, I, I wonder, like, is that... Is that okay? You know, I, I, because it's been left this kind of gray area, I don't, I mean, I guess that it's not a gray area. The, the simple solution is just don't do it. But if you're keeping your distance and you're, you're trying to keep that two meters, then what's the, I don't know that that's a problem, Loren. Well, the two meters, I think for me, you know, and I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> as I try to answer this, I'm not sure what the answer. I certainly have sat apart from uh, a neighbor, a two meters and chatted with them, want me in a lawn chair and them and them and one. I've done that. You're trying really hard to make sure you're just keeping that distance. And every, and, and I have thought, is this the right thing to be doing? And we have conversations before you approach one another. I'm coming a bit closer. How do you feel about, you know, how do you feel about that? I'm not coming within that, that boundary, but you know, you're all the time, you're, you're trying to weigh, what's being said with what makes sense. And so um, I, I think if you're allowed to go to a golf course and you're allowed to go camping and you're allowed to be doing some of those things and going into a grocery store, the key is just to try to keep is that respectful distance as possible. And in this case, it is that two meters. But Greg, you know, as I, as we talk our way through this, that there's that gray. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you're saying it, even as you're laying it out in a very, what I would say, responsible and realistic fashion, but it's open to interpretation. It's open to your own view on what's a safe distance of what makes sense. And, you know, I think the thing that opened that I shook my head about the most was probably the camping, not because of what happens on your campsite necessarily and, and being in your own family bubble on the campsite, but you know, uh, shared uh, facilities for washrooms, etc. Opening that up, and then that—that that I think gives people sometimes permission. And I'm not saying that it's not warranted, and we shouldn't have that self-discretion to figure out what works best. You know, depending on your family dynamic, but that is going to be the challenge moving forward in terms of keeping us all as healthy as we've been to this point because we are making that move where there is some self-discipline versus just staying at home and having to interpret those rules the way uh, that you want to. I think Lorenzo, at the end of the day, I just wanted to add, you know, what, what we've tried really hard to do is make sure we're asking everybody else in our life, are you okay with this? Like I'm standing right here. Are you okay talking mm-hmm. for a few bits? Are you okay if I sit with you as long as I'm, uh, you know, a couple meters apart? Uh, kids are, are going for a bike ride, but one's in front of the other. You know, how far apart can that be? What are the, how are we trying to do this? Because again, with that mixed messaging, playgrounds are open. Well, kids aren't going to stay apart in a playground unless you're yelling at them nonstop. So we've, we've asked our kids just to try not to go, you know, when the boys go biking, don't go biking to the playground um, unless I'm with you. But th- we haven't gone to one yet because to me, that seems like too much of a gray area. So everybody's going to feel differently. I think it's about Brett, like say you're out this weekend golfing, you just ask your buddies, how do you, how do you feel? Is everybody okay if we do it like this, as long as we do it this way and, and see where mm-hmm. that gets you? Yeah. And I know I, I just want to go on a date, man. I just want to go sit on a patio with a date. I'm starting to get pent up here. So uh, I guess <laughs> you've got to keep the distance. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. We want to give away some pizza, a large two topping pizza for Santa Lucia. The lines are jammed at 204-780-6868. So here we go. Here's your question for today. The average person uses 80 to 100 of these per day. What is it? 
before we get going. Greg, do you have a guess? Mm, I think I might, but I'm going to ponder it for another minute or so. Loren? I'm going to need you to read it again. The question is, the average person uses 80 to 100 of these per day. What is it? James. Hello I, there. I am, I am drawing a blank. Pieces of paper. Pieces of paper. No. Uh, but that's a great guess. Yeah, you, you, the, the amount of paper that uh, I burn through here on a daily basis, got to have everything backed up, right? We can't rely on if our computer crashes, then what? Cecile. Hello there, Cecile. Hi. Um, Kleenex? No. No, the great guess. that's also a great guess, especially right now, allergy season. Mm-hmm. I blow through so much Kleenex uh, lately, and I always feel like, especially like just as I usually I'll go for a walk, and then if I have to go to the store, I'll do that at the end of my walk. But by then, my allergies have acted up, so if I'm standing out, outside in line, blowing my nose, I feel like people are going to be looking at me funny. Do you have COVID? David, do you know the answer? Is it gallons of water? David, can you, nice. can you say that again? Is it gallons of water? You, sir! Ah, correct. Very good. <laughs> 80 to 100 gallons of water. Greg, how many, do you know how many liters are in a gallon? Oh, I think it's roughly four liters in a gallon, right? Okay. 3.78. Ah, Lorenz on the maths. Yeah, that's a, that's a ton of water. David, did, would, does that number surprise you? I heard it before, and so it's always kind of made me try to use less. Oh, look at you. How responsible of you. Well, David, hopefully you wash the pizza down with something other than water. And I'm going to put you on hold. Jeff's going to get you. Oh, before we put you on hold, what kind of pizza would you order a two-topping pizza? Sausage and pepperoni. Sausage and pepperoni. That's a unique combination. I should try that. It's awesome. Okay. Stand by, David. Yeah, the Italian sausage. I always forget about the sausage. Oh, hang on. Can I... Okay, I was, I was scared I was going to lose them. I did something wrong. I thought I was going to cut them off. But yeah, 80 to 100 gallons of water. Loren, where do you think most of that comes from? Do you think maybe it's like the shower? Toilet. Oh. You think? How many? There's got to be a couple, several gallons per flush. I I'm guess so. I'm going to look that up. I'm confused with the yeah, gallons like four, and the liters like thing. Four or, five, yeah. four or five liters per flush. That's why when you go to the lake... It's as if it's yellow, let it mellow, because people have holding tanks and a lot of people also uh, might be getting their water trucked in uh, if they have, uh, if they have a, is it a cistern instead of yes. uh, just, you know, water from the lake or, or, a, or a well or something like that. So and how many liters per flush? Well, I'm getting ripped right now because I was using um, U.S. gallons versus the Imperial gallon. And so, therefore, I have no idea anymore what the answer is. At least four people. It's roughly four. It's roughly four, four liters. As soon as I said four, no, that's the U.S. gallon. Everybody is very upset with us right now. Really? Come on. Oh, know boy. the Imperial numbers, people. Okay. Well, what is the – hang on. I don't know. In, in Imper- Here we go. How many liters in an Imperial gallon? 4.54. 4.546. In an imperial gallon. Okay. Reoccurring. Reoccurring. So four and a half ish <laughs> liters. <laughs> There's literally dozens of texts coming in right now. Come on, people. Really? 4.55 <laughs> liters in an imperial gallon. Like, like, do people really know this off the top of their head? Oh, yes, uh, Jerry. Jerry does. Smart people do, Good apparently. Gosh. Yeah, Mark knows it. Scott knows it. 3.7. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. I love, 
No, this I love it when this happens though. This when we get the, these sort of like machine gun text reactions on certain things, and you never know what's going to jump out at our listeners. And I love it. I love the interaction. So thank you so much, guys, for participating because it make you know you're a part of our family. So we want to we want to interact with our family, especially in this era of self isolation where we can't interact with most people. And then we have one person saying ha ha. <laughs> Just laughing so now am I gonna oh it's Fred. Fred's laughing at us. Listen, is this from a certain age demographic? Can I ask? Because I know when we made the switch uh with the metric system, I don't know what year that was, but it was just a I wanna say sixties. Oh uh, no. You know, no? No, the full um, wholesale change for Canada yeah. was like in the seventies. Like the early 1975, 70s. it looks like. But someone's going to correct uh, me on that too. So in any no, event, for sure. I'm just suggesting that a lot of pe- a lot of people knew that, right? Because you might have re- you you would have really known that going through school, and suddenly you get to this new for system. Sure. I'm, the kids are going through measurements right now. My son and his grade four part of his grade four stuff. And um, do you remember a decimeter? Like I don't think I've ever used that in my life. <laughs> text message from Larry. We were talking about gallons, how many liters in a gallon, and we first said 3.78 or whatever, but that's the U.S. gallon, as many of our listeners pointed out, not the imperial gallon. And Larry (laughs) says 4.55 liters per Canadian gallon. It is common knowledge. To which Lorenz says, common knowledge? Come on, Larry. And then he says, very common. So... (laughs) Not just just common, but very. (laughs) So listen, thank you to our listeners for having some fun with us this morning. We love it uh, when you guys kind of razz us a little bit here. So it brings some levity into the proceedings. And hard to think of a more fun place to be uh, than where we're going now. Um, And before we do that, though, what are we doing at 845, uh, Loren? We want to revisit just the conversation about layoffs at the public sector level, layoffs with Manitoba Hydro, and of course, cuts to universities and and different crown corporations. And so we're getting an explainer from our friend of the Canadian press, Steve Lambert, just about the idea of how this is all going to work. And really, at the end of the day, is this actually saving money? How does the money move from a crown corporation? If they're supposed to be an arm's length, operate as their own, how does that get back to the government? And so lots of questions um, to flesh out and, and more math, Canadian math, I'll call it, with our system. And dollars. Ju- and just a quick <laughs> highlight from that conversation yesterday, from that news conference with the Premier. Well, I can only tell you we're in a pandemic. How do we justify a pandemic? We're either going to act like there's a pandemic. Well, again, I would say we're in a pandemic that responds to the realities of the pandemic. We're in a pandemic, such a pandemic before this pandemic, this pandemic, since this pandemic began, without a pandemic. We're going to beat this thing. Saw that courtesy of Chris D. 15 times he said pandemic in there, by the way. Some more at 845. All right, something's opening back up today, Greg. Yes, there are so many ups and downs with this pandemic. Every day we learn more about the hits to our economy, and we also learn about the businesses and organizations that are working hard to bounce back. Today we're adding the Assiniboine Park Zoo to that list, Loren. Yeah, after eight weeks without visitors, the zoo is reopening today with some restrictions. Bruce Keats is the COO of the Assiniboine Park Conservancy and joins us now. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, you guys. How are you today? We're good. I'm curious how you're feeling, given it's been eight weeks since you've had uh, outsiders walk through your door, so to speak. You know, we're pretty uh, excited to uh, be welcoming our our members and our visitors to the zoo today. And uh, everybody's pumped and uh, looking forward to, uh, to speaking to some folks out in the zoo today. So how's it going to work? If I go to the zoo, what's different? 
Well, uh, first of all, uh, on the exterior of the main gate entrance, so on the south gate entrance, you're going to see some social distancing markers before you actually enter into the uh, wicket or ticket area. Uh, and that will be uh, just to accommodate sort of that social distancing and a quick uh, throughput through that uh, first entry point into the, into the zoo. And thereafter, once you get into the zoo, you're going to be following a one-way directional traffic uh, throughout the zoo. That's clearly marked out. So, uh, again, we can maintain that social distancing requirements that's been outlined by the province. Bruce, I'm thinking about uh, what we're expecting weather-wise today, a little bit of rain. So my guess would be that the enclosure and, uh, of course, the journey to Churchill is always popular, but maybe more so today. How are you going to ensure people are staying apart from one another at those different displays, at the different attractions? Yeah, so any of the indoor uh, exhibits or spaces that we have within the zoo, uh, will be capacity controlled. So again, we'll have someone counting folks coming in or out of those buildings uh, to again maintain that social distancing. And once inside those buildings, each and every one of those buildings, you will see markers on the actual uh, uh, floors indicating that sort of necessary social distance between each other. So with that, um, has there been any challenges uh, as you make these adjustments for staff or even the animals themselves, Bruce? Well, um, it's, it's, uh, we've had many conversations with sort of our, one of our crediting bodies called the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, um, and we've had to make some actual animal-to-human social distancing requirements uh, to ensure the safety of, of our animals in the zoo. So again, in the, uh, some of the enclosures, you'll see uh, yellow markings that indicate sort of a barrier between the human and the actual animal inside the exhibit. So uh, our, mostly our primates uh, and our cats are, are susceptible to COVID-19. So we've taken that extra measure to ensure that social distancing requirement is in place for them. Of course, the zoo is a great family outing. If you go with kids, particularly little kids, uh, I mean, there's play structures in the zoo. And what what or what about strollers? Like, what if you go and you need a stroller? Yeah, we're we're encouraging during this phase of our opening um, to bring your own wagon or strollers into the zoo. Uh, we also will have all the playground structures uh, on the inside and outside of the buildings closed at this point in time. Just again to have that extra uh, added security and, and, and ability for social distancing. The other thing that we're encouraging is uh, all our water fountains and bottle re- refill stations will be closed. So again, if you're uh, coming into the zoo, uh, please bring your own water if you have. Um, but we will have our Tundra Grill, uh, which is one of our concession stands, open for takeout only, uh, as well as Winston's Ice Cream Shop will be open on the weekend as well. Revenue is uh, obviously a big part of the equation for any organization. You're going to be no different, Bruce. How big of a hit has the last uh, eight weeks made on your bottom line? We've uh, we've uh, had a significant hit, uh, and obviously not only from our, our gate revenues at the zoo, but uh, we've seen a substantial number of uh, large events being cancelled, uh, which is uh, which is malt is in about half a million to $600,000 already off the books for this year, uh, as well as our restaurant operations had to uh, shut. So 
again, it's 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 been tough, and we're, and we're looking forward to the community coming back and supporting us in a big way in order to uh, sort of maintain that uh, pride of Winnipeg uh, and keep our zoo up and mobile. And you're going to keep going with the creature features too, right, on Facebook? Yeah, we're going to continue those on. They've been absolutely incredibly popular. Uh, we've had over 270,000 uh, views of, of the creature features that we've been uh, doing while we've been in a sort of our closed period. So those have been extremely popular, and we hope to continue those uh, into the future. Uh, the Premier of Manitoba yesterday answered questions about the impact of budget rollbacks and job cuts, Crown corporations and government agencies and other public sector services, including universities. This is Brian Pallister reacting to a question about the temporary layoff of up to 700 workers at Manitoba Hydro. I would suggest we play the shorter clip here, Brett, for a savings of $11 million. Well, the message, I guess, is pretty clear. We're either going to act like there's a pandemic and respond to it appropriately and there's going to be some consequence to a lot of us in the short term most of us in fact because we're all in this together or we can ignore it and hope it goes away but that isn't going to make our recovery very steep it's going to drag out this thing a long time so we're going to do this intelligently and we're going to do it together we paid two billion dollars of taxpayer money into a fund to pay workers when there isn't enough work and now some people are out there advocating that we shouldn't use that money, we should just borrow more and uh, act like there isn't a pandemic. We're not going to do that. There is a pandemic and we're going to draw on the Employment Insurance Fund for some of our workers, fewer than 2%. The response to this decision and others like it has been varied, to say the least. Steve Lambert of the Canadian Press joins us now. Steve, thank you for this. Oh, you're welcome. So you're on these calls daily, participating in the news conferences on COVID-19 response and, of course, now the economic decisions being made. Yesterday, the Premier said some things about the cuts at Hydro, which had you thinking about 2002. Why was that? Well, back, back in 2002, the, uh, the government of the day, the NDP government at the time, uh, took a special dividend, took money out of Hydro and, and used it for general revenues purposes and and used it under the accounting rules as they existed at the time to uh, to claim a balanced budget. And the Auditor General said, no, your budget isn't really balanced, and that uh, wasn't too kosher what you did there. Um, so uh, the, the possibility exists that the government can, even though the accounting rules have changed, the government can take a special dividend out of its Crown Corporations. You can You can take money out of Crown Corporations and use it for other things. There hasn't been any sign that the government is doing that yet, but I asked the Premier the question whether that was part of his plan, whether that was part of the reason he was intent on on reducing costs at Manitoba Hydro. Because the theory would then be that he would, the money would move back into the province and help uh, flesh out that, uh, reduce that deficit, Steve? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you can calculate the deficit a few different ways, and, and one of the ways you can do it is by excluding crown corporations and and treating money that you take out of crown corporations as as new revenue, as as the former government did. Um, there has again, there hasn't been any sign that he's doing that. I put the question to him, um, and th- this is all part of a larger question about why why these spending cuts, uh, he why he feels spending cuts are needed. Is he thinking the pandemic is going to go on for months and months and months, possibly years, uh, thus leading to a, a real challenge on the provincial finances? 
um, most people are, are suggesting that he should spend, that he should let the deficit grow, prop up the economy so that this pandemic, when we get through it, the uh, people are still employed and the economy can, can rebound fairly quickly. Do we know how this $11 million in savings will flow to the province? Did the Premier talk about that? No, and, and again, there's no, there's no sign that it will flow to the province. I mean, it, creditors, uh, the people that assign credit ratings to the province of Manitoba and other governments, uh, treat hydro debt and the government debt all, all in one kitty. And that's because the province uh, guarantees hydro's debt. So, again, this, this appears to be, uh, if I'm trying to read minds here, this appears to be a concern on the Premier's part that hydro, along with uh, direct government agencies, should not go too far into, into uh, debt, should uh, reduce costs in order to keep debt from spiraling, uh, perhaps in order to prevent a credit downgrade that we saw a few years back. Um, in 2016-17 because of the, uh, the constant deficits that Manitoba had faced. So that's, that's the genuine purpose then when the Premier combines uh, the, the provincial government debt with the debt of Manitoba Hydro. And, and, he, and I think I mentioned this last time we had you on, Steve, when he alludes to Manitoba being the most indebted province in Canada, it's when he combines those two numbers and you just sort of outlined the reason why he looks at it that way. It has to do with that credit rating. Yeah, I mean, credit rating agencies uh, have said that uh, they consider it one one and the same. They they find there was a, an analysis from Moody's last fall that said Manitoba Hydro's financial picture is is fairly weak, but because it's expressly and explicitly guaranteed in debt by the uh, the debt is guaranteed by the province, they they roll it all in together. Steve Lambert of the Canadian Press joining us live on 680 CJOB. Steve, thank you for the time as always, sir. Good to talk to you. You're welcome. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.